Bibles, if you would, this evening, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4 tonight, we are working through the book of 1 Peter, we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, looking at the first six verses this evening, the first six verses, and focusing, armoring ourselves against unjust suffering, arming ourselves or preparing ourselves for unjust suffering, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, <clears throat> for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. We have suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live rest, the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. If the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, we walk in the lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, Abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give an account to them that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Father, pray you just pray you just bless tonight. Be with us, Father, as we look into your word. Show us things that would help us, that change us, mature us, uh, rebuke us, uh, help us, Lord, to see ourselves, help us to look into this perfect law of liberty, which is a mirror, and see ourselves, Father, and, and be honest about our own struggles, our own temptations, our own difficulties, not thinking of the person across the way or back home or in the house, but asking the question, Lord, is that an area where I need, I'm struggling and how can I change uh, for the good of others and for the glory of God? Lord, bless tonight your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So everything basically from the, from the previous verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 22 up to this passage, has been focused on, as I mentioned from the very beginning, the scattering of believers, this persecuted uh, bunch, uh, persecuted from the world. Uh, we know it persecuted from Rome, uh, tempted by the devil. So they're, being, they're suffering, they're going through difficulty, they're going through hardship, they're going through, uh, through, going through pains that we can't even imagine. We think often, you know, we have it bad in the United States, but compared to these people who are actually, the, the, the government, Rome, was, was actually seeking to destroy Christians. We're not yet in this, gov in this pr primarily where people are seeking to destroy, but Romans were anti-Christians right out. They didn't, and because they believed in worshiping, worshiping Caesar, not Jesus. <laughs> they didn't want to worship. Uh, they didn't want to worship Jesus. They wanted people to worship and bow down to Ciro, uh, uh, Caesar, especially Nero, as we've talked about him in, in several times in the past, and how how he treated Christians. So knowing how to face trials, because we're all going through trials. Trials is not something that you say, "Well, I might go through a trial." No, dear friend. If you're breathing, you're going to go through a trial. If you're living, you're going through a trial. It's not a question of, not a question of if, it's a question of when. On the way here, I talked to a dear friend who lived on, on Fort Myers Beach. I've been, I've been wanting to call him all week. I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And finally, I, on the way here, I said, I've got to call this brother. For eight, I've known this man for over 20 years. Every time he, he'd say, hey, anytime you want to come to the beach, just come, you and bring your family, bring your family, bring your family, bring your family. Always nice, always hospitable. I called him, brother. I just said, hey, we've been thinking about you. We've been praying for you. 
And he said, I don't even know what to say to you. I said, well, he said, I don't know if I have a house or not. I don't know what belongings I have or not. I don't know, I don't know what I, I, I can't, they won't let us on Fort Myers Beach to even, to even know the condition. Is it condemned? It, do I have something? And I, I gotta, I'm trying to call the insurance company. And, and everybody and their brothers call the insurance company. They're trying to get an adjuster. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a place to dwell. He is homeless. Imagine being homeless tonight. Imagine your whole world, everything you have right now. All your pretty things, ladies. All your pictures, all your sweet things that you thought you might have forever. They, a lot of folks lost them. Gone forever. Can never be replaced. Some things you have, you can't replace with money. Money can't buy. That's a lot of folks. You got to prepare yourself for that. You got to prepare yourself for suffering. For not just suffering from the world, but just the troubles of life. We have to prepare ourselves. If you don't prepare yourself, if you don't arm yourself for troubles in life, when they come, they will devastate you. They will destroy you. So we have, first of all, this evening, the challenge prepared for total commitment. That's why you have to commit yourself totally to Jesus Christ. That you love Jesus Christ more than your heirlooms. I love Jesus Christ more than my Harley Davidson. I say it again. I love, I love it more than that Subaru. I love, I love it more. I love Jesus more than anything because if you love something more than Jesus, and the and the devil gets permission from God to take it away, then the hopes that you would that you would leave the church, that you'd go out there and be a, just another bitter Christian that we see every time we go out on visitation on Saturday, if he could touch something in your life to take away your relationship, not permanent, but fellowship, what would he touch? What could he touch? What if he took my house? I don't know if I could follow Jesus anymore. If he took my family, I don't know if I could follow Jesus anymore. Job said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We, that's why we have, we have to, we have to, we have to get to that point where, Lord, I love you more than anything. And if you take it all, then I'm still going to serve you. Because he, he gave it all for me. So he's talking about total commitment. I don't think most Christians in America are ready for total commitment. I think we're so caught up in this world and the things of the world, if, 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 the devil was to take, who got permission from God to take anything, I think we'd, be, we'd just go around and start pouting because we, something was taken away from us. Interesting, this word arm is, is derived from the Greek word, which means, it's in the only time it's using in the New Testament, it's an imperative uh, tense, which means it's a command from the Lord. It's not just say, well, maybe do it. It's a command. The word is used by the Greek soldiers when they put on their armor for battle and equip themselves with the weapons. It means to put on all the armor, not just some of it, not just the helmet of salvation, not just your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, not just the shield of faith, not just the breastplate of righteousness, all of it. Put all of it on, put all of it on. We have to be prepared for battle. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, <clears throat> that you may be able to stand the evil day, having done all to stand. What is preparing ourselves or armoring ourselves? Why is that so important? What are some principles of arming? Well, first of all, it promotes peace. Remember Ronald Reagan? Remember Ronald Reagan? He had a, he had a, he had a statement. Peace 
through strength. Build the military. Build the military. And under him, of course, the Cold War was collapsed and the, and the wall came down. Don't be, don't be meek. Be weak. Don't be, don't be weak. Be strong. Be, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, For he is our peace who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. It promotes peace. Secondly, it prepares us for, pro for problems. <clears throat> Another reason to arm ourselves to prepare for danger, attacks, conflicts from outside enemies. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, like as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he devour. The devil wants to destroy us. Ephesians 6, 13, not just in verse 13 and 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So in verse 11 and verse 13, it says, put on the whole armor of God twice there. Daniel armed himself. He purposed in his heart. He devoted himself to the Lord. Daniel 1, 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He lived holy, righteousness, righteously unto God. You see, if you're living in sin, when trouble comes, it's easy for the devil just to push you out over like a, with a feather. See, if you're caught up in, in pornography, if you're, put up, you're caught up in lust and adulteries and bitterness and jealousies, and we're going to talk about specific sins, if you're caught up in that, that's exactly where the devil wants you to come because when trouble comes, when a hurricane comes spiritually to your life, you're going to just crumble right over. Can you imagine a house on Fort Myers Beach made of just wood? How much of that would have stand, would stand uh, last week? It wouldn't stand very, very much at all, would it? <laughs> can you imagine the, the, sea, the sea castles? I mean, you can make the most elaborate sea castles. And on Fort Myers Beach, they had a contest every year who could make the nicest castles. And they came up with some things that were elaborate, but just one wave, and there's all gone. And that's what the life sometimes, if we're not careful to take stock of our life and prepare, prepare for problems that might come. Third, it promotes the power of a person. Second Timothy 1, 7, for, the, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. Romans 8, 37, nay, and all these things were more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. We see a police officer. We see police officers every time we go to uh, breakfast on 43rd, that 43rd Street Deli. Why do they, ha why do they have those, those, piece, those guns on the side? Just, just for show? Just for show? No, they're, they're trying to protect. They're, they're to protect themselves and protect the community. And dear friends, we have to be prepared. Promotes the power of a person. Third, fourthly. It protects that which is precious. We are arm ourselves with a mild commitment, with, with, a, in our, with our mind commitment committed to the Lord to protect what is precious. The Bible says that we ought to, we ought to restore uh, a right relationship. Brother, Brother Vaughn talked about that one night in Psalm 51 verse 12. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and hold me with thy free spirit. We want to have, we want to, we want to, we want to be in the, in the will of God, living for God, being right with God. But our life is not filled with sin. We want, we want to be prepared in case the enemy, against temptation, against internal trouble, outside trouble, 
always being prepared. So we see, first of all, the challenge to prepare for total commitment. But secondly, oh, I'll go back, the consequences from commitment. What happens because of that commitment? What, 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 what's the consequences of that, of, of, of a commitment? Well, if we have a right commitment, we'll cease from a sinful lifestyle. If we are committed to God, it will cause us not to live a sinful lifestyle. It says there in verse 1, it says there in chapter 1, and it's arm yourselves as it was the same mind for he hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This word cease, interesting enough, means to stop, to desist, to restrain a thing or person from something to no longer be stirred by the sins, enticements, and seductions. Interesting, the tense, is that this word cease is in the perfect tense. It means once completed in the past, it's, it, it needs not ever to be repeated. Ceased. It's like when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's over. It's done. He doesn't need to go to the cross again. He doesn't need to die again. It's over. It's completed, never to be done again. And that's how we're supposed to live our lives. Not going back to the old way. Not going back to the, to the past. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> no longer chasing lustful desires. They're ended. It says that he no longer shall live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men. For in time past our life may suffice for us to have wrought the will of Gentiles. When we're walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abdominal uh, idolatries. The word lust here is from the Greek word which means passionate longings. Refers to evil desires. What are these different sins that he mentions? Lasciviousness. Lasciviousness. That is unbridled lust, outrageous, shamelessness, indecency, complete lack of any moral restraint. Sounds like our world, doesn't it? Galatians 5, 19. In other words, the flesh are manifest in these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Lust. <clears throat> we already looked at that. Evil desires. Excess of wine. The word is composite of two words, uh, which basically mean to, to a liquid which bubbles up or overflows. The phrase is drunkenness. Drunkenness. It describes the habitual nature of this sin. The Bible says in Proverbs 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a raging. Whosoever deceived thereby is not wise. I'm not talking about NyQuil tonight, folks. I'm not talking about NyQuil. I'm talking about people who just on a regular basis just get goggle-eyed drunk. That should not be a part of a Christian's life. That should not be a part of a Christian's life ever. Ever. Revelings. Or banquets, excuse me. Excess of wines. I'll skip one, excuse me. Revelings. It's the nocturnal and righteous uh, process of half-drunken uh, parties. Uh, they, they had parties in the street, which they, the Greeks, they had a party to the wine of the Greek god, Bacchus. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such a like, of which I tell you before, as I told you also in the time past, that they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, preacher, is, can Christians do those things? 
Well, dear friend, if that's your nature, if you're involved in envies, drunkenness, murders, I mean, revelings, and you're living like a pagan, then probably maybe you are a pagan. Maybe you just never got saved. <laughs> maybe you never got it. Maybe you never got it. Banquetings, this means drinking bouts and carousings, abominable idolatries. The sin here is, again, it's talking about criminal worship of false gods. The Bible says, have no other gods before me. So all these things are, are wicked, abominable things that we expect the world to do. But we as Christians should refrain from, stay away from. And people who, even if you know people in the church that are caught up in this kind of stuff, you should stay away from. I got people from my past, and you do too, that you know on social media and or maybe from high school, and they're involved in this stuff like this. You see them, you hear about them. I don't want any part of that. I want any part of that. That's the old, that's the old me. That ain't, that, that's not the new me. I don't want anything to do with that kind of stuff. Because what will it do? Destroy you. Destroy you. Heard a story of this, 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 uh, this man told a story about this, these ducks that were flying. <clears throat> what you call a flush of ducks? Is it a flush of ducks? It's not, a, it's not a herd of ducks. Flock. Flock? Flock of ducks? Flock of ducks were flying in Europe. And they were, they were one duck looked down and saw these, these other ducks on the ground. And they were enjoying corn so well. And he flew down there and enjoyed the corn. And he did that. And he just kept on enjoying it. Kept on enjoying the food. Kept on enjoying the food. Next year came that, that same bunch of Ducks came, and he thought to himself, well, maybe I'll just fly up there, and I'll, I'll be with those other ducks. No, he, he, he'd gotten so, <laughs> so caught up with the other ducks and the food right there, he got so soft and heavy, he could not fly with the other ducks anymore. He'd enjoyed himself too much. You say, preacher, does sin, can sin take away your salvation? No, it cannot take away your salvation, but what it can do, it destroys your testimony where you can't serve God anymore to the degree that you could have. You know people right here used to be, used to be right here at this church who had a wonderful testimony, but they lost it because of sin. And instead of getting right with God and coming back to the fold, they've let that sin, whether it be bitterness or temptation or whatever it may be, destroy them, and they're outside the will of God right now. So that's what, that's what Peter is trying to help us to realize. We say, see, a concern for the will of God, that he no longer should live in the rest of his time in the flesh of the lust, flesh of the flesh, or flesh of the lust, but to the will of God. What is, God what's the, what is the will of God? Well, first of all, we know the will of God for us as Christians is to be saved. Amen. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What, did, what is God's will? I can tell you what God's will is, that every boy, girl, man, and woman be saved. That's God's will. Now, preacher, is every boy, girl, man, and woman going to be saved? No, but his will is for everybody to be saved. He's not, out, he's not up there selecting who will and who won't. No, dear friend, anybody you see, preach the gospel to every creature. That's the Great Commission. Secondly, to be secure in him. Be secure. The Bible says in John 6, 40, This is the will of God of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in that day, that last day. Do you believe that? Are you secure in your relationship with God? 
You don't have to go around doubting, am I saved, am I not saved? I feel sad for folks who believe you can lose your salvation. Man, if I, I'd be the most miserable creature in the whole world if I believed that. Well, I sinned, I guess I lost it. Well, if, I, if every time I sin, I lost it, I guess I lose it just about every day. Because <laughs> all of us probably have sinned at least once a day. Amen. So, <clears throat> no, dear friend, your salvation is, is secure. We're saved. We're secure. Thirdly, we should be sanctified. That means to be closer to God. This is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, your growth in Christ, that you should abstain, stay away from fornication. That's the will of God. <clears throat> and fourth, be surrendered. Be surrendered for, to God's hand upon your life. James 4, 15. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we will live and do this or that. You shouldn't say, well, you know, I'm going to do what I want every day. No, you should get up every, every morning and say, God, what do you want me to do? See, if you, if you let God plan your day, you'll have a better day. If you plan your day, you'll fail that day. So what do you want to do, fail? How many times do you want to fall down? Get up in the morning, first thing you do, read your Bible, pray, and say, Lord, show me thy way. Direct me. Lead me in a path of righteousness. Friends, he wants to lead you in the right way more than you want to go in the right way. Ask him, lead you, guide you through his spirit, give you promptings of who to speak to, where to go, who to, who to talk to. Like I was prompted on the way here to call my dear brother. I was prompted to call him. I, my flesh didn't want to call him because I was afraid I, I might hear something I didn't want to hear. <laughs> I was scared. You might, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to, how to call but I was prompted to call the dear brother. You ever get prompted? This other week, I was over at <coughs> Dollar General. Guy was getting ready. He was getting ready to go listen to the ball game. He, wore, I, he had his Florida shirt on, had his beer. He was set to go. He was talking about the game. Prompting of the spirit, give that man a gator track. My flesh said, no, nah, don't give that man a gator track. He might say something. He might reject you. He might, <laughs> who knows what that, that's what the devil, that's what the flesh always does. Say, don't do it. But the spirit says, do it. I went over there. I said, hey, man, here's, here's, this, gator, here's this gator schedule. <clears throat> As you obey the promptings of the spirit, it's easier to obey the promptings of the spirit. But the more you listen to your dirty, rotten flesh, and your flesh, like my flesh, is dirty, rotten, the more we don't obey the spirit. So we should be saved, secure, sanctified, and surrendered to the will of God. That's, that's the will of God for our life. D, the confusion or the confoundment of friends from your changed life. What happens to your friends when they see your, your different life? Because <clears throat> no longer are you are you doing those things which you used to do. You're no longer uh, caught up in lasciviousness. You're no longer caught up in lust. You're no longer caught up in excess of wines. <clears throat> You're no longer caught up in revelings. You're no longer caught up in banquets or abominable idolatries. Your life is different now. When the old boys from high school or from your old place say, hey, let's go out and paint the town. You say, no, I'd rather go out and preach the gospel. They probably won't call you again. Probably won't call you again. <laughs> I read about Eric Little. He, he was uh, one of the great Christians, great Scott, 1924. The 100-meter dash 
was going to be on Sunday in the Olympics in Paris. He was great. He was figured to win it, but it was on Sunday. He said, Sunday's God's day. I mean, Florida don't, Florida don't matter about that anymore. They, they just, they, they, I'm surprised they don't do it every Sunday now. I'm surprised all the football teams don't do it. Like, I mean, they got competition from the NFL, so it's not probably lucrative enough. Because if it was lucrative enough, they'd probably do it because that's where it's all going. Sunday's become fun day. So he said, no, I'm not doing that. So what do you do? He, instead of spending his time with his friends at night like he used to, he trained for the 400 meter. It was a totally different, different competition. Had to train harder for it. But you know what? He did right, and he won it and won the, won the gold medal because he chose to do what was right. He said, see, folks, we have to live by principle, not just how things, how you feel or just by the moment or just by how the, what, how the, how the, the how people, uh, you know, what people think. But what is it? What about principle? You know, it's, it's like, you know, coming to church. It's a principle. I'm going to be in church. You folk, most of you folks, you've lived by that principle. You're going to be in church. If I got people come down from South Carolina or Kentucky, it's not just because I'm a preacher. They help. It helps. <laughs> but I'm going to be in church because that's what I do. Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, unless I'm sick or out of town, I'm going to be in church. I put a nail down in that area. And that's what you have to do in other areas of your life. You say, you know, I'm, I'm making commitment into those areas because if you don't, You'll struggle. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 tells us, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in you had unto you and how you turned from God's idols to serve a living and true God. That word strange, people think strange of us, means to be surprised, shocked, or astonished by the strangeness of a thing of a person. If somebody met you from 30 or 40 years ago, would they say, wow, you've changed? I hope so. I hope you're different from when you were in high school. I hope you're different from when you were in college. I hope you're different from your salvation. I hope people, when they see your Facebook post or social post or see you out in the community, say you're different. You've changed in a good way, in a good way, because you've gotten closer to God. Because we, we, as we get closer to God, there's going to be a character assassination from unbelievers. They're going to speak evil of us. <laughs> Can't you? Hey, Expect it. The Bible says John in, in John chapter 15, 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you if, if you were in the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. See, we're not of this world anymore. It's okay. If the world hates you, you're doing a good thing. If the world thinks you're strange, you're doing a good thing. Hey, if you're if you're playing. If, as you're driving down the road, amazing grace and rock of ages instead of hell's bells, you're doing a good thing. If you're not bumpity bump, thumpity thump coming in the church parking lot, but instead you're listening to BBN, you're doing a good thing. <laughs> Live for Jesus. Do the good thing. Do the good thing. Think about those Christians who suffered for Christ back in these days. Back in these days, they had a. Uh, Colosseums, when they mur- and they basically was basically murdered Christians. They had Christians in the Colosseums, and they were torn apart by wild animals. One guy by the name of Paul Rader, he was uh, he he went to this Colosseum, and he thought about what it would be like as a Christian. And he said, I, 
he just thought, what would it be like for me as a Christian to be in a coliseum where wild animals would destroy my body? He said, I would, I would stand uncovered to the heavens above and sit there realizing, asking a question, if I died today, did I do enough to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Think about that. Instead of thinking about his death and being torn about, apart by a wild animal, he was thinking about his life and did he do enough for Jesus Christ? Wow. Wow. So we need to realize the importance. We talked about speaking evil. It means basically to blaspheme, to defame, to slander, to, to rail, revile you. Don't be surprised if people speak evil against you. That's, if they spoke evil against Jesus and, they were, and he was perfect, you, they're going to speak evil against us, aren't they? That's just par for the course. John 18, 15, we read that. The consideration, thirdly, of the future judgment of God. If we're going to arm ourselves, we're going to have a right mind. We have to consider the future judgment of God, who shall have give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Those without Christ will stand before the Lord, the great white throne judgment. But we who are saved will stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. It's a totally different judgment. We won't be judged for our sins We'll be, joined, we'll be judged about our service, our sacrifice for God. What did we do with the life that God has given us? Were we selfish with it, focused only on ourselves, or were we selfless? Selfish, very little reward. Selfless, much reward. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, If man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, for he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. First, Second Corinthians five ten. We must all appear for the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone will receive the things done in his body according to he has done, whether it be good or bad. So this judgment is not for our sins, but our but strive, but our striving for God. So we see next fourth, if we're going to arm ourselves or have the right commitment to God, we have to realize the cause of the gospel. For this cause, verse six, was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. They might be judged according to men of the flesh, to, but to live according to the Spirit. The words that are dead do not mean the gospel is preached to dead people. I mean, that, is, that doesn't make sense. But I believe this is talking about people who have heard the gospel and are now dead. They are now up in heaven. They are thankful for the gospel which has been preached to them. Now they have life eternal. Yes, their bodies are, are dead. Their, their flesh is dead. But they have life we are, we, are, we are a triune being. We're a soul, body, and spirit. Now, a plant has a body, but it doesn't have a soul or a spirit. An animal, a dog or a cat or animal, has a, has a body and has a soul. I mean, soul means it's personality. That's what soul means. But human beings has a body, a soul, and a spirit. A spirit is that which connects to God. It is that, it's what that which that which which goes on beyond us. Jesus, you know, prayed unto, you know, I, I give you now my spirit. I, I, I'm relieved of my spirit. And he's, he, ultimately, that's what connects to God. So that is very important. We recognize that. The cause of the gospel. The words that are dead, I, I, meant, I already mentioned that. Are we living ashamed of sin or, or shining bright for Christ? Are we living ashamed because of our sinfulness, are we shining for Christ? I read this quote by D.O. Moody. One of, the, one of the days he said, 
You'll read in the paper that D.O. Moody of Northfield is dead, but don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. Brother Tiny, Wanda is more alive now than she was when she sat beside you. She's more alive now. Brother Pastor Manning, he's more alive now. His body's gone, it's decaying in that old coffin, but he's alive. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives in me. And because he lives, we can live also. And that's what he said, didn't he? Isn't what Jesus said? We believe in him. We will, though we were dead, yet shall we live. We have life. How's our life? How's our life today? Do we walk away? Do we walk around ashamed because of our sins? Because we're still caught up in the sins of the past? Or by the grace of God, are we shining by the grace of God brighter and brighter? As a, as, as a Christian so that people can see our good works. Not that we glory in ourselves, but we glory in the fact that Christ has changed us. It's Christ has changed us. The Spirit has changed us. The Word of God has changed us. So we can say glory to God. Look what He has done. We can sing to God be the glory, great things He has done. That's what type of life you should live. Put away the past. People may speak evil of you, but they'll be shamed because you're choosing to do right. I hope that is the, the, your case this evening, that you're living in the light of eternity, choosing to do what's right for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for speaking to our hearts and helping us. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, as we just look to this passage of Scripture, these persecuted saints, who struggled with sins in the past, like we struggled with sins in the past, they chose by the grace of God to do right. I pray that you'd help us to choose to do right, putting the, the old ways behind us and living towards righteousness. Maybe some in this room tonight would say, Preacher, I'm still struggling with some things in the past. I'm still struggling with some of the things, maybe even some things that I mentioned, maybe some other things that, that wasn't mentioned. I'm still struggling with things in the past, but by the grace of God, I recognize it, and I'm choosing to go forward to do that which is right. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that tonight? Anybody like tonight? I'm still struggling with things in the past. But I want you, by the grace of God, I, I recognize it. I know it. But I choose to do what's right. I want to live right. I want to live in, in righteousness. I want, by the grace of God, to please Jesus with my life. That is my desire. That is my hope, to please Jesus. That's my desire. Is that you tonight? Is that you? Let's stand to our feet. If you're not here, if you're here tonight, you don't know Christ as your Savior. I encourage you to come see me or my wife. Most of us in this room, I believe, have a personal relationship with Jesus. As the piano plays, maybe just there in your seat, or if you want to come to this old altar, the things you're struggling with in your life, maybe not even mentioned tonight. Maybe difficulties in your heart, difficulties in your family that you're struggling with. That you need the grace of God tonight. You need strength tonight. So a world is a veil of tears, difficulties, struggles, problems, inwardly, outwardly. Tonight you just need to hear the importance of living for him, staying strong, doing right. Maybe those in your around you are not doing right. Maybe those in your home are not doing right. May God give you the courage to keep doing right, no matter what the cost.